Your convocation speaker this morning, I think appropriately, is your convocation speaker on the Feast of St. Gertrude the Great, because as you know, most of his story, he pursued worldly knowledge um, until he truly met the Lord and realized that it was all vain. But that also doesn't mean he doesn't still pursue knowledge. He just does so uh, in the vein of uh, Jesus. So please welcome up Dr. Mollenhauer. I want to talk to you this morning about being grateful. Uh, I've chosen my starting words carefully there. Being grateful, not gratitude. We'll get to that. Gratitude is a concept, and concepts can be abstract, whereas being grateful is very concrete. I'm going to suggest to you that the impetus for truly being grateful comes from one of two modes, absence or presence. One lends itself to natural gratitude, the other lends itself to supernatural gratitude. Now, why, you might ask, am I talking about this? Like, can't we just go to finals? Why this? Why today? Why this topic? I can see it in your eyes. I can hear you thinking loudly to yourself, oh, great, another lecture about how I don't really appreciate anything, about how I'm not as grateful as I should be for things, because I'm a spoiled American teenager who knows nothing about real suffering, in addition to which, my prefrontal cortex isn't even fully formed, so it's kind of amazing I can function rationally at all. And here this old guy gets up here to talk and tell us he's seen a thing or two, and if I, the aforementioned American teenager, really knew what the world outside my bubble was, I would hang my head, weep, don sackcloth and ashes, and pull up my own teeth with red-hot pliers before ever even appearing to be ungrateful again. Yep, that's why. So, first mode, absence. If you've ever done without something to which you've become accustomed, then gotten it back. You know how grateful it makes you for that thing. Whether it's going without dessert, or your phone, or going to the box social, or whatever it is you kids do these days, you know the next time you have that thing, it's never been sweeter. Uh, I had this experience after getting back from living in Ethiopia, I could go on for much more than five minutes, but one instance in particular I want to tell you about, uh, walking into a, my first grocery store after having come back, um, I felt like I had been kicked in the chest. Such abundance, such order. I had tears in my eyes. I, I, I mean, right now, even thinking about it, I have like tears in my eyes. <clears throat> Those tears started rolling down my face uh, as soon as I stood in the back and looked at that refrigerator that has all the orange juice, <laughs> regular, pulp, low pulp, lots of pulp, low acid, high calcium. It was like nine different kinds of orange juice. I was just in a place where kids were so accustomed to having flies in their face that they didn't even blink if one walked across their eye. And here's this. That made it all the more grating to overhear a woman on her cell phone frustratedly gripe to whomever was on the other end of the line, no, they're out of that flavor. This place never has anything. <laughs> having just been living in a place that might be more objectively describable as not having anything, I knew that at least for a good long while, I wouldn't need a reminder to be grateful for my country. By the way, lots of pulp. <laughs> the second mode. Presence. Uh, early on in my journey towards Catholicism, I started attending Sunday Mass and going to weekly adoration. 
I found the doctrine of the real presence so unusual, I had to see it for myself, try to understand it. At that point, pretty sure I believed in the possibility that there was a God, but was unsure about whether anything could be really said or known about him. So I decided to attend one hour of adoration every week for a few months as a test. If that's what Catholics said it was, or rather who, then surely I would be helped on my journey. Since I had no idea how to pray a rosary, or even that there were such things as prayer books, what could I do? I decided to focus on doing one thing explicitly during my time there. Be grateful for an hour. I could go on for much longer than five minutes, but after every single experience, I left thinking, even if I'm wrong and there is no God, there's something to that practice. Besides feeling refreshed and uplifted, I often left with the answer to some question or problem or concern that I'd had throughout the previous week, something about which I likely could never have forced a solution if I sat there consciously thinking about that problem for an hour, rather than just being grateful. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his justice, and all these things shall be given to you besides. Would you show up to a friend's house, sit right in front of him, babble at him, or read in front of him for an hour without ever listening to see if he had anything to say? Purposeful listening won't just benefit you in music, it'll benefit you in your life and in the hereafter. He's really and truly present in the chapel, and you should be too. That's why I'm not kidding when I say in class that one of my goals for you upon graduating JPG is the ability to sit on a park bench for one hour, armed with nothing but your thoughts and a grateful disposition. Do this and you'll be surprised at what follows. You might even find yourself being grateful at the strangest times. It might not seem possible to you that one can be overwhelmed with an almost knee-buckling sense of gratitude looking at a refrigerator full of orange juice or waiting in a long line at the In-N-Out drive-thru or sitting up all night next to a hospital bed hoping the person in it makes it through the night. Well, you can. Having natural gratitude, that is, towards things in the world, is best cultivated through absence. Supernatural gratitude can only be cultivated through presence. His presence. Real presence. Praise be Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah.